foundation. You know what I said a few weeks ago? I said, I cannot build your structure. I cannot build anything else without first laying a decent foundation. Um, any structure will crumble if there's not a firm base under it. And um, I believe that mind renewal and understanding your mental capacity and your thought processes is the beginning uh, for me to go anywhere. I can't talk to you about faith. I can't talk to you about healing. I can't talk to you about love. I can't talk to you about peace and joy and about these different things that we want to get on. I can't talk to you about overcoming in life and, and whooping the devil. And I, I can't even get there till you understand how your mental capacity affects your everyday lifestyle. We can't even go there. Um, if you are still thinking like you did growing up or if you still have thought processes um, from old past traditions, um, then I can't even get there. Because if you don't believe that God is good, he's a good king, and that he cares about you and wants the best for you, then how am I going to get anywhere beyond that? Okay, so that's what we're talking about on these uh, Wednesday evenings. But if you'll give me a couple minutes, um, you know, when I was studying this afternoon, I, I just there has been a real strong push in my life personally um, in the arena of the body of Christ, the church, the body, a church like this that we are planning in this city and that we are raising up in this city. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, it's a difficult task because, and when I say competing, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not competing with anybody. I'm doing what the Holy Spirit tells us to do, period. I'm not in competition with the church down the street to, to beat them. The problem is, is that the church has entered in the church in America has entered into a straight up identity, identity crisis. The church does not know what it's supposed to look like. To understand the full purpose of anything, we need to go back to the beginning. This is for anything. If I want to understand why a gun was created, how many of you know that there are people mishandling and misusing weapons today? Period. Okay? So if I want to know why was the gun created, what was it created for, what was its original intent, what what did the creator of, of a weapon like that what was he thinking? There are ways to use it properly. There are ways to use it improperly. And so uh, the church as a whole in America, um, we've lost what it means to have success in church. Because success is not the size of your building. Success is not how many people come to your church. Um, Success is not in how great your worship team is, but yet we've found so many churches that are simply basing their success on those natural, tangible things. And I believe, I know, I'm firmly convinced that success in the church is only rated on one thing, and what are you preaching? The message is way more important than the method. And we have lost focus of the message and what are we teaching and what are we preaching, and we have focused on the method. How are we getting it out there? And we have done this at the expense of preaching the full counsel of the gospel. Paul said in the book of Acts that uh, he preached the full counsel of the word. That means I withheld nothing from you. If it was in the word 
whether I was afraid of offending you, whether I was afraid of losing you, whether I was afraid of going over your head, whether I was afraid of uh, you getting angry at me, whatever, he did not withhold the full counsel of the word. And that's what a church like this is going to do. And we will do this um, regardless of what people are doing around us. If I'm only looking to do what other people are doing around us, then what am I really doing differently? And again, I've said from the beginning that I'm not just doing something new and something different just to be different from everybody else. I don't look at everybody else and say, okay, well, I'm not going to put lights up that color, and I'm not going to decorate my building that way, and I'm not going to do those type of areas and ministries. I'm doing what the Holy Spirit's called us to do. But I just got back. We just went to a... Um, a leadership conference for the, um, just to give you all a little background, um, I graduated from a Bible school called Rama Bible Training Center in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, who's heard of it? Okay. Uh, Rama Bible Training Center was founded by a man named Kenneth E. Hagan. Who's heard of him? Okay. Kenneth E. Hagan, um, he has now passed on. Um, he's basically the founder of the Word of Faith movement. Uh, he was born back 1911, I think it was. He was born um, born prematurely, had an incurable heart disease at the age of 17, became paralyzed on his deathbed, uh, had visions of going to hell, visions of seeing God or talking with God, and got his healing miraculously. And from then on, never had an issue with it. Uh, died at the age of 86. Um, he died in 2000, passed away in 2003, uh, right after I graduated, months after I graduated uh, from Bible school. Founded this Bible school in 1975. Um, they've graduated over 25,000 alumni, and it's just strictly ministry. It's not doctrinal. It's not uh, theology. It's not get a doctorate degree or any of that kind of stuff. It's strictly ministry. It's two-year Bible school. I went in 2001, graduated in 2003, um, and that was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This past weekend, I went to a RMAI uh, leadership conference that they do for all the alumni, pastors that are hooked up with their ministry, which we are. This church is a Rama church. Uh, uh, Anchor Faith Church in St. Augustine is a Rama church. We are still attached with that ministry um, to this day. So we went down, and they did uh, this conference. And the last few years we've gone, they pretty much do them annually. And the last few years that they've gone, um, the overall topic that the ministers that do the um, do the conferences uh, it, it always just seems to fall back to burnout. Pastors just getting tired. Pastors just getting weak. Pastors just uh, the ministry wearing on them. And um, sad to say, a lot of it had just become a soapbox fest. And um, let's just talk about how sad it is out there and how hard it is for ministers and how hard it is to be in the ministry. But um, never really answered a lot of questions. We'd always walk away. Now, we understand that in ministry, our, when I say we, I'm talking about the pastoral staff in Anchor Faith Church, St. Augustine. Uh, we would go as a staff, the whole group of us. We have five pastors on staff. And uh, we'd go a whole group. And we've been doing it for seven years. Uh, to these guys... We're babies. These guys have been in the ministry 25, 30 years. Um, and it always seemed to tend to, if they could tweak something naturally, it would help them feel better. 
um, if they could keep up with the world, keep up with relevance, keep up and be trendy, keep up with the lights and keep up with the with the the projectors and the sound and the just all the different tangible things. But they finally answered the question this past weekend. Doug Jones, who is the RMAI director for the entire uh, United States of America, for all Rama pastors in the United States, uh, he's the one who did this conference, thank God, because we probably would have been in the same boat as we were last year and the year before that. Um, but he answered the question, and he talked about balance. And he, he simply defined balance in ministry as whatever you do, it should not take you away from prayer and study of the word. Amen. Period. He gave out two examples. He showed Moses in Exodus chapter 18. Moses, um, as you know, brought out the Israelites of e- out of Egypt. One million people. He's the pastor, basically, of one million people. And he's trying to meet with these people every day, just lining up and bringing their problems to him. And he's having to meet. And his father-in-law, Jethro, finally comes to him and says, you are going to wear yourself out and the people. You're literally going to kill yourself trying to meet with these people. And so what did he tell them to do? He told them to delegate it out, bring up people that are uh, of like faith, able-bodied men uh, that are pure, you know, all the different characteristics. And he said, you need to delegate this out, have them, and then you deal with the most important issues, okay? Um, And the number one reason was so that he could get back in relationship with God, put aside time to have prayer and relationship with God, and then study God's law is what it was then, to study the law and get to know God's commands, Acts chapter 6, we see the same exact thing. The the apostles, obviously, the church in one day, 3,000 people. Peter, you know, Peter gives his message in Acts chapter 2, and instantly 3,000 people were added. Could you imagine if one day we have 3,000 people added to this church? Overnight. Okay? So this is what happened. So, and they had a service that they did. Um, They met daily. If you look at, I mean, if if we go through the book of Acts and look at the church in the the book of Acts, again, going back to the beginning, where will we go if we want to see the beginning of the church? Acts. Acts chapter 2, so the very first mention we have of the church. And then we see the church happening. It it would blow your mind what the church, I mean, you got uh, people being added instantly. Um, You got everybody caring for each other. You got people literally selling items, clothing, land, uh, cattle, selling everything that they have, bringing it to the church, and then that was being distributed out to help take, take care of other people in the church. This is what's happening in the book of Acts. And so they had different uh, service things that they did for people, and one of them was they fed uh, widows. They served widows. And so the apostles came and said, look, we're being pulled away from prayer and study of the word. Let's find people. And so, again, they did. Acts chapter 6. At the beginning, they found, they found seven men of like faith, full of the Holy Spirit, had good reputation, um, and placed them in charge of these things. Um, so what am I getting at? I'm, I'm getting at that there, is, there has been a strong um, push in my life. And I'm starting to get direction. I'm giving you a little insight of where we're going to go here in the next couple of weeks on our Sunday evenings. Um, this coming Sunday will be the last service that uh, Pastor Earl and the team are coming up and doing. 
and then October 16th we'll be running it from there. And I really feel like God is wanting to get a message across of what the body of Christ is supposed to look like, what the church is, is supposed to look like. Because the picture that we have in our world today is so far, is so foreign from what the church is supposed to look like. And I need to lay this again. It's more foundation. I need to get back to the foundation of what does church look like so we can head in that direction together. This is a team thing. You know, I'll, I'll hit on uh, subjects such as the role of the pastor. I'm not afraid to talk about this position in the church. This assignment has been given to me just as he's assigned you to this body in your areas. And so we'll lay out the role of the pastor. Why do we have a pastor? Why is it important to be a part of a local body church? Uh, why do we have to find our fit in the local body? And I find it interesting that Jesus, now Jesus and, and God throughout the Bible, uh, he always gave people natural images to explain something that they couldn't see. Always did this. I mean, you got Jesus when he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of, I mean, it's like, uh, it's like a field with a treasure in it. It's like a pearl. It's like, uh, it's like a fishing net. Uh, he's just always giving you something tangible to look at to explain something you can't see. And I find it interesting that God specifically uses a body, a natural body, to parallel the church, which means you can look at a body, everything that a body does, how a body works, the characteristics and the personalities of a body, how, how a body stays alive, how a body gets food, how a body, uh, you know, helps itself out. All the different he's – saying, he's saying you can look at a physical body and you can see how my church is supposed to look. But the thing that, the thing that bothers me and the, the thing that really hurts me is that if a lot of natural bodies – operated like a lot of churches operated, we'd have some really ugly-looking, dysfunctional bodies. I mean, we got people... <laughs> we got people backbiting. We got people gossiping. We got people bringing division. We got people wanting to do their own thing. This body that you see doesn't do anything that the head first doesn't tell it to do. And it doesn't operate... My head doesn't operate without my body. If I want to go out to my car and get something, my head's not going to take off of my body and float out. It's going to use my legs to get out there. It's going to use my hands to push the door open. It's going to use my hands to open the car. It's going to use my eyes to see. You see where we're going with this? And so this is what I want. I just really feel that, that this is where we're going to be going here in the next couple of weeks and I just want to get y'all prepared, get your hearts ready um, for these messages. Uh, Pastor Earl down in St. Augustine has been teaching on my church, my church, because God said, I'm going to build my church. He told Peter this in Matthew chapter 16. And instead of building his church, we've been building our churches. And I want to build his church. And I want this church and this body to function the way his church is supposed to function Amen. the way he ultimately prepared. I mean, if you look in Revelations, there were uh, seven letters to seven churches. And one church out of seven 
passed the test? One. I mean, the book of Revelations, you know, it's got all the end time stuff, and, and I'm going to be honest with you, I don't even understand all of it. I'm, I'm, I'm studying it out. I, go ahead and, and get this down. I don't know everything, okay? <laughs> I'm studying out right along with y'all. My wife knows a little bit more than I do. Uh, I'll, I'll give her that. That's because I got the microphone in my hand. Um, okay. <laughs> Hey, I'm I'm a smart guy. I mean, I know everything, but I know to give her credit where credit is due, right? <clears throat> um, but when but when you look through that, there were seven letters written to seven churches, and one church passed the test. One church got you will receive faithful, good and faithful. You ha- you come into the kingdom. I mean, one out of seven, seven churches. I mean, it's, it's, you got. It just boggles my mind. I want to be that one church. Amen. We want to be that one church. When when Jesus comes back, I want him to find us doing his work, doing his will about the Father's business. Not uh, quitting an area of ministry because someone else offended us or, uh, you know, backbiting and gossiping behind people's backs and causing division and, and you know, sitting in the pew and, and thinking, you know, this is how I would do it. You know, I wouldn't do it that way. We, I want to raise up his church. I want to raise up the body of Christ. I mean, when you think about that, that means that you are Christ in the earth. Now, a lot of people don't like to hear that because it puts the responsibility on them. But guess what? As a believer, there's responsibility. With knowledge comes responsibility. And when you know something, uh, now you are to be to walk in it you, there's there's two two ways you can get in trouble you, i can get in trouble out of ignorance i just didn't know to do it that way but once i know to do it a certain way i ought to do it that way and um so we're going to identify some things with this church we're going to get this church set in the right direction from the get-go um we're obviously doing this study that we're in on kingdom mind renewal and um you know, I believe it's shaping y'all's thinking already, and you guys are already starting to see some new things there. And then, um, you know, I really believe October 16th we're going to hit the ground uh, running with that. So uh, just be prepared for that. You know, be, start preparing your hearts for that, and um, we'll get right into that. Amen? All right, well, let's get into our lesson tonight. <clears throat> We've been talking about Kingdom Mind Renewal, and, uh, you know, like I said, we're going to be in this for a while. I I'm going to dig in, and even if I can't finish something in one night, I'm, I'm not in a rush with this. Uh, this is too important to just rush through stuff just to get out information. I want to get revelation. I want you to understand what the Spirit wants us to understand, not just because I've got it on a piece of paper and I have to preach this tonight because that's what is on the agenda. <clears throat> so I'm not in a rush to get these lessons out. Um, I want it to get drilled in. So I want to do a little bit of recap. Obviously, we've been talking about our lifestyle and our lives are directed and driven by our thinking. We've identified this. I can't get you anywhere if I can't get your mind there first. We've used different examples. Uh, The easiest one to identify is financially. Uh, If you have a certain mindset of finance and of money and you were raised a certain way or it's just uh, the way that you've latched on to money in the past, 
uh, I cannot get you out of debt or I cannot get you to a place of provision or wealth until I get your mindset changed. I have to get you to literally see money differently. Okay? Um, and so it's the same way with the kingdom and with your purpose in this earth. Um, if you've always been told that, uh, you know, God handpicks who, he's, who he wants to go to heaven, so when you, uh, when you get born again, um, you know, just stick it out down here because one day we're going to get to glory land and we're going to get up to heaven, then I'm never going to get you to really fully latch on to your purpose here in the earth uh, because we all have a purpose in this earth. Um, death is, is not an answer. Death is not, uh, you know, just happenstance. Um, God placed us here for a purpose in this earth. And so we've taken a little bit of time to look at that. We went back to the garden. We went back to Genesis chapter 1. Again, go back to the beginning to understand how something's supposed to run properly. I mean, we're 2,000 plus years into this thing. Okay, so... There's a little bit that's been lost that we need to get back to. Um, It's called God's original intent. What did God create man for? Why did he put man on this earth? And so we've identified those things. That God in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 created man in his image. That doesn't mean he physically looked like him. That means that he carried the personalities, characteristics. He thought like God. He walked like God. He acted like God. He responded like God. Uh, all those type of things. And he gave man dominion. Dominion over what? Gave dominion over fish. Gave dominion over the birds of the air. Gave dominion uh, over every creepy thing and over all the earth. So God, being a king in heaven, expanded his kingdom to the earth. I'm talking government now. And we don't understand kingdom, but bear with me and we'll get there. Um, but God expanded his rule his territory, to the earth, but never intended, never intended to rule earth from heaven. He placed man here uh, in his position as an ambassador. Okay, We've seen these verses that you are ambassador. You are an ambassador of Christ. An ambassador is one that rules territory in a foreign land as it, as it would be in that country. Okay, We have ambassadors of the United States in other countries. That means in that area, they rule that, that territory in that area as America would, okay? Uh, and they have the full backing of the government. So we have the full backing of heaven. We know that Jesus, uh, when he was teaching his disciples to pray in uh, Matthew chapter 6, he said, uh, How would be thy name? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done where on earth? As it is in heaven. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm coming back to bring a kingdom to this earth. Earth should look like heaven. Okay? And the Garden of Eden, when it was first created, looked like heaven. There was no sickness. There was no worry. There was no anxiety. Okay? There was peace. There was joy. Uh, People were prosperous. And all that Adam and Eve had to do was take care of God's things, and they would have been fine. Because Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, says this. He says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then he says, And all these things will be added to you. All what? All the things that people are searching for. Everybody on this earth is searching uh, to pay their bills, 
They're searching for a home. They're searching for food. They're searching for what they're going to drink. And God is saying, look, if you seek after my things, if you seek after my kingdom, all those things will come find you. My provision will follow you if you seek my kingdom. So this, this was Adam and Eve's uh, first initiative in the garden. They were given uh, rules. They, you know, we always think of uh, the Garden of Eden as paradise. Everyone wish we could get back to the Garden of Eden. We can just lay around in this garden and do nothing. They had stuff to do. You go back to that. He told them, I need you to take care of it, take care of the ground. I mean, he had to name the animals. Um, he had to take care of his wife. They, they had job assignments. And as long as they did those things, they didn't have to worry about what to eat. They didn't have to worry about what to drink. They didn't have to worry about where they were going to live. These were not thought, press, th- thought processes that Adam and Eve had in the garden at all. They weren't concerned with these things. But then Adam and Eve obviously did the most terrible thing you could do in a kingdom that was raise up with an independent spirit and want to do your own thing. Because they were given a command, do not eat of this tree. And they ate it. That's called treason. In a government, that's called treason when you, uh, you directly disobey a king's word or a government of the governing authority, the word of the king. They, they straight up disobeyed it, ate the fruit, okay? So as soon as they disregarded God's authority, they lost their authority. And immediately now they're looking, I mean, what does it say in uh, Genesis chapter 3? They immediately tried to do what? They tried to make clothes out of bushes, out of fig leaves. What are they doing? What am I going to wear? They immediately that quickly went over and went to a mindset of trying to take care of themselves. And then, obviously, they had to work the ground, and we have the earth that we live in. Sin nature came in. So we've identified that what we're trying to do, what we're trying to establish in in this mind renewal, and it's specifically kingdom mind renewal, and we're going to get deeper and deeper into this and understanding kingdom mentality, understanding how a kingdom works, how a kingdom operates, because this is your culture now. It's not just what we see. It's not this American government. Uh, We now operate with an unseen culture, the kingdom of God. And so we've identified that we are a three-part being. Let me get um, Colby, Aaron, and Derek. If y'all could come up here for me real quick. Quick little visual. Just line up side by side right here. Okay. Aaron here, this is our spirit man. Aaron is our spirit man. Derek here, this is our soul. This is your mind, your will, your emotions. This is how you think. This is how you feel. And this is what you want to do. Mind, will, emotions. And Colby here is our flesh. Okay? This is our flesh. This is our little, our little evil guy. Okay? Now, let me, let me paint a... <laughs> Got the horns on today, all right? That's all right. We'll we'll get you taken care of. That's all right. I'm going to shut you down here in a minute. Um, Aaron is your spirit man. Every single person on the face of the planet has this makeup, has a spirit, possesses a soul, lives in a body. 
And we said this before, that your spirit man is saved at salvation. You ask Jesus, you make him the Lord of your life. Believe that he died on the cross, saved you of your sins. He's born again. Okay? Now understand this, that he always, even before you're born again, wants to do the will of God. Okay? That's why it's called born again. Because before salvation, he's dead, inactive, has no say. The, the ones that are controlling, right here. These are the ones that are controlling your life. You're led by your emotions. You yell at people because you're angry. You're led by what you want to do. I don't want to do what God wants to do because I don't even know what God wants me to do. Okay? Dead, inactive, before salvation. Led, and then your flesh carries it out. Our bodies carry it out. Okay? When you're saved, when you become born again, he raises up with life. But now what we need to do is we need to, we need to strengthen this guy. We need to strengthen this guy at, at being born again. That's called an immature Christian. You're a Christian. You're a believer. But it's, called, uh, it's what Paul called carnal. Basically meaning you're saved, but you still have the capacity to be ruled by these guys. Okay? So we need to strengthen this guy. How do we? The, the, whoever you feed is going to get stronger. You feed this guy, it's going to direct this guy. You feed this guy, he's going to direct this guy. In the middle here, we have our mind. And this is what we've been talking about. This is, what, this is where we have been focused on, renewing our mind to be led by this guy and not this guy. You can put it this way. Your spirit man is God conscious. Your spirit man is God conscious, always conscious of God, always conscious of the will of heaven, wants to do the will of God on earth. Soul, mind, will, and emotions, you conscious, self-conscious. What do I want? What do I want to do? What am I thinking? What are, where do I want to go eat? Uh, who do I want to hang out with? What do I want to watch? Okay? And then your flesh here is world conscious. Is uh, Another way to put it is sin conscious. Because when, when, I say, when I say world, I'm talking about the sin nature. Remember, I identified that uh, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, sin nature came with it. So now everybody's born into this, sin. Your flesh cannot and will not ever be free from that. No matter how long you've been saved, no matter how long you've been born again, born again no matter how long you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, you always have the capacity to go back to this, to go back to sin nature, as long as you're in this earth. Okay? But the more we feed the Spirit, He directs and guides the mind. Okay? And then the flesh has no play. So this is the, this is the constant conflict in life, in the world today, is this guy versus this guy. You guys can have a seat. That's the, that is the number one conflict in the world today. And so we need to renew our minds because if you don't, you will think according to flesh. You will think according to the world, according to sin. Very simple. Okay? This is the uh, constant struggle in the world. 
And so by renewing our minds, we're identifying that I am no longer of this world. I'm in it, but not of it. Remember, Jesus made this statement. He made this statement about his disciples. He said, they are in the world, but not of the world, just as I am in the world and not of the world. Let's go over there to John chapter 17 real quick. I want to, that just came up, and I want to flow with that. This is a very interesting chapter. This is a very interesting chapter. Because this is Jesus praying before he's going to be crucified. This is pretty much the last thing that he's praying. Okay, He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, we know that he, he, he struggled and uh, was fighting in the garden. His disciples are off sleeping. You know, They don't care. He has to keep going and waking them up. Come on, one hour. Could you not just stay awake with me one more hour? Okay, and, But this is very interesting when you find out what Jesus was actually praying. So let's look at this. John chapter 17. We'll start with verse 6. Verse 6, and he says, I, this is Jesus speaking, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. So this is, these are the disciples. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them. And you have known, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. Look at this. This is so awesome. Verse 9. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now, I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm getting ready to leave this earth, but they will remain in the earth, his, his, his 12 disciples, they will remain in the earth because I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those who you ha- whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. Now, let's look over here in verse 15. This is, now, I'm telling you, this is, we got to allow, this is being teachable. This is what we talked about last week. Allow the word to renew your mind. Look at this in verse 15. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Let's look at verse 15 one more time. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Now that's so interesting, isn't it? Because how many of you, without raising your hands, but how many of you have have heard that this is not our home, our home is heaven, and one day we'll get back there. And, I mean, th- these have been thought processes in the church for years. But look at this verse. This is what Jesus is saying right here. He says, I do not pray that you take them out of the world. Leave them in it. Why? 
Because this is where you are most effective. This is where your purpose comes, becomes fruitful. This is where your original intent for mankind from the beginning of time can finally take place. I mean, you've got to think that from the time Adam and Eve sinned all the way up until Jesus came back. And when he came back, he brought a message. We've seen this, that he was from the instant he hit the towns, he hit the ground. He's saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is is that hand? What is he saying? I'm bringing a, a message of why you are here. This is the message that has been missing all these times through Moses, through Abraham, through David, through Daniel, through all the prophets, through all the kings. I mean, you go back to First Samuel. How many of you remember the story of when the people asked for a king? The people asked for a king. Samuel was the prophet. And God told them, okay, I'll give you a king. God never intended for man to rule each other. If you go back to Genesis 1.26, he gave them dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, over everything that creeps on the earth, and over the, all the earth. But he never gave man, or never intended for man to rule over each other. He intended for man to be submitted to God, period. God was the king. And he told Samuel this. He said, give them their king, for they have rejected me as their king. See, all these other nations and all these other tribes that were around at the time were setting up kings, were setting up rulers to rule over them. And now, obviously, we're thinking, who on earth would want that? But that's what they wanted. That's what the Israelites wanted. They came out, and they were a free people. God was their king. God was their leader. But because they couldn't see God, they wanted something tangible. They wanted something natural. So God said, give them a king. But they have rejected me as their king. Why? Because I'm their king. And so God always, and this is why we look at leadership so poorly today. America has no idea of submission to leadership, has no idea of, uh, of someone being able to control you and doing what they say. And a kingdom is, is such a foreign thing to us because we live in a democracy where it's you have it your way, you do what you want to do, let me give you my opinion on the matter, well, let's get enough people to vote on this thing and then it'll be carried out. But a kingdom is one person choosing the rules, choosing how people will live, choosing how the people will be taxed, choosing all this stuff, and you do it because the king said it. That's a kingdom. The reason why we have a hard time understanding this today is because we've seen so many bad kings blow it. And then you uh, fall over into dictatorship, and you run into people like Castro, uh, you run into people like uh, Nero, uh, you run into people like Hitler, that took their power, but if you could understand that God only wants your best interest. He only has your best interest at heart. Everything he's put into play, every law. I mean, you know, if I tell, uh, if Lexi's out by the road and I say, hey, Lexi, don't go play in the road. Come back this way. 
am I just trying to keep her from having fun? No. I know there's danger there. And if she can stay under my alignment, if she can stay under what I'm asking her to do, then she'll have a great life. And that's what God as king is doing. He set up laws. He set up uh, these things for man to live by with our best interests at heart. He's not trying to just uh, stranglehold us. But again, we have this, uh, the wrong picture of leadership. We've seen people do it wrong. That's why God didn't want man ruling over man because he knew that they would blow it and blow his, blow his cover, blow his image. Because only God can be the perfect king. Only God can truly care for what the people want. And now we've set up all these other types of governments. I mean, a kingdom is a monarchy. There's very few kingdoms uh, on the earth today. Uh, the only one that I can even think of is the United Kingdom, England, that still uh, operates according to this. But you have democracies, you have republics, uh, you have communism, you have dictatorship. You have all these different kingdoms which are a failed attempt to do what God set up from the beginning. God set up a government system for his people to live under and to rule on this planet in. We are uh, sons and children, sons and daughters, children of a king. That means we're in a royal family. And so we've lost a picture of who we are as believers. And we're putting up with stuff, and we're living with things, and things are happening in believers' lives, and, and character and conduct has gone out the window because we don't properly understand who we are. And so that's why we're identifying this. So uh, there in John chapter 17, Jesus was identifying that his disciples were in the world, but not of the world. And he also said, don't take them out of the world. I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to leave them and let them walk in the power that I've given them. Okay? So this is, what's, this is what has happened um, in John chapter 17. Then last week we uh, touched a little bit. Uh, we talked about repentance and what repentance really is. Repentance isn't just a prayer coming down here to the altar, giving your life to the Lord, and walking away and then doing things the same. Repentance is a daily operation, a daily lifestyle. Okay? Repentance should daily be happening in our lives. We should constantly be finding things in our lives that we have to repent about. And the word repent simply means to change your thinking. That's what the word repent means. So what do we need to change our thinking on? What is the word revealing in our life that I, I need to make a switch and say, no, uh, you know, I, that, was, that was wrong with me before. I need, to, I need to do it this way. Okay? When I say repentance as a daily lifestyle, I don't mean you find time to go and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. He will forgive you of your sins. He's, he said this, that you know, once you're a believer, you confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Okay? But we need to understand that when I say repentance, I'm not just talking about the prayer, asking for an apology. I'm talking about living a lifestyle of being teachable, making him your Lord, and uh, and reversing it and walking away from that kind of lifestyle, walking away from that kind of thinking. Okay? Repentance is the first thing that has to happen if we're going to understand mind renewal. If you want to renew your mind, that means that you're going to stop thinking the way the world thinks and, stop and start thinking in line with the word of God. Then the first thing you have to do is repent and say, yep, 
I need to do it this way. And I walk away from that. Okay? And we saw that that wasn't just walking away from sinful things, but also traditions of men. Also walking away from traditions of men or old belief systems or old ways of doing things that we come to find out there's another way to do this. There's, here's the original intent. Here's the original reason why this verse is here or the original way that I should live. So we all up to speed there? We're all caught up there? All right. Well, let's get into what we're going to talk about this evening. And I'm going to, I'm going to go quick. I know I've spent some time here just laying some stuff out. Um, but the next part of Kingdom Mind Renewal that I want you all to understand that we have to understand <clears throat> to continue on is understanding the role of the Word of God in Kingdom Mind Renewal. We need to understand the Bible and what the Bible is. Now, I'm not going to give a whole lesson on how to study your Bible and give you all kind of natural things on how to study it. And I'm going to talk about the Word as a whole and the role that it plays in our lives because this is why this is so important. This is what you're lining your thinking up to, period. If I'm going to renew my mind, what am I renewing it to? The Word of God. I'm not going to go find a book that someone wrote about the Word of God. I'm going to go to the Word of God. Um, So if I'm going to stop thinking sin nature, if I'm going to stop responding uh, to things like the world uh, responds to things, then I need to get in the Word and understand the role of the Word of God uh, as it's changing my thinking. Okay? So let's look at this. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 25. Deuteronomy 6, 25. <clears throat> the word of God, again, going back and understanding that God is a king. That is his position. He is a king. We know God the Father. Uh, we know that God, um, you know, we have all kinds of characteristics. He's Lord, all kinds of characteristics of God. But number one thing that he is, he is a king, which means he's a ruler over a territory. He has dominion over a territory. Kingdom is simply a king's domain. That's what a kingdom is. So when you understand that God is a king, you have to understand that any time a king says something, it becomes a law. Immediately becomes a law. When a king makes a statement, when a king uh, puts forth the command, it becomes a law. Just like laws that we have in our own country. So laws can either be followed or broken. can either be obeyed or disobeyed. Okay? So you've got to understand that God's word is his law. So let's look at this in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 25. It says here, it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all this commandment before the Lord our God just as he commanded us. So basically what he's saying here is if you obey the word of God, if you follow God's word, it will be righteousness for you. That word righteousness simply means that you are in alignment with the government. That's what righteousness means. If the speed limit out here is 45 and I go 45, I'm righteous. This term uh, righteous is not a, uh, you know, it's not strictly a biblical Christian term. It just simply means to be in right alignment with governing authority, with what a government puts in place. That's simply what it means. 
Um, notice here that uh, he's using a term righteous before Jesus ever came and died for anybody. So righteousness does not just mean uh, being born again or being in the kingdom. We see this. This is being used in Deuteronomy. This is thousands of years before Jesus ever came to the planet, died on the cross, and made people righteous. Righteous simply means to be in obedience. Now, to be in obedience with God's government and his authority, you have to be born again. Okay, so I'm not separating the two, but I am trying to paint the picture that righteousness doesn't just, it's not just a biblical, uh, you know, born again, become righteous term. Okay, I just want to identify that. Let's look at this in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Again, God's word is the law of the kingdom. So if we follow God's law, then we are righteous in his kingdom. And Joshua 1, 8 says this, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. Now, I want to look at this word meditate here. This word meditate simply means to think on. We've already identified that what you think on dictates how you live. Where your mind is dictates your lifestyle. We've already seen this. So we see here, you shall meditate in it day and night that you may what? Observe to do. Thinking on the word causes you to do the word. Meditate on the word day and night, and you will observe to do all that is written in it. So we see that. Very simple. Thinking on the word will now dictate my life to do the word. In James chapter 1, verse 22, you don't have to turn there, just jot it down. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, Do not be hearers only of the word. But also be doers, lest you deceive yourselves. Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Deceived people are people that only hear the word, but never apply it in their life. Okay, this is a deceived person. Deceived person is one that takes in the word, takes in the, takes in the word, but never applies it, never does it, never lives it. Because now they're thinking that they're... Uh, a believer and that they're a Christian and and in God's kingdom, but they're not living it. And this is kind of what we were going back to before with character and conduct and these type of things. It's it's not being shown. They can probably quote you scripture all day long and they can uh, seem spiritual, but in the end, there's no lifestyle following it. Okay? So this is why uh, mind renewal is so important because thinking on the word, meditating on the word, causes you to observe, to do all that is in it. So a lifestyle is now being directed by our thought process. We see that. Okay. So this is a very basic, this is a very basic side. Now, the word itself, the Bible, should govern us in three areas. It should govern what we think. It should govern what we say and govern what we do. Okay. The Bible needs to govern what you think, what you say, and what you do. And uh, this is where, as believers, we have to become better at, at allowing the word to infiltrate those areas. And this is what a mind 
uh, a renewed mind will look like. Because if you are thinking it, then, I mean, the, the, the word says that uh, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of what's placed in the heart, in the spirit of a man. And as you're renewed in your mind, that means that your, speak, your speaking, your speech will be different. And then your actions, your lifestyle, your character will be different according to the word. So the Bible should always govern what we think, what we say, and what we do. Now the word must be planted. We've seen that the word um, is like a seed. We've seen this many times. Jesus, uh, you know, made these statements. The sower goes out and sows the word. We saw that in Matthew chapter 13. The word must be planted, which means that we're not always going to see an immediate crop. You won't always. How many of you know that if you plant a seed, you're not going to go out in a few hours and see it. You're not going to go out in a few days and see it. But there, you have to cultivate that word. You have to... uh, you have to keep getting the word. You can't just get the word once and then tomorrow we're going to be different. We just keep getting the word. We keep planting the word. We keep taking care of that word. Keep rehearing the word. I mean, meditate means to think on and think on. And, and, he's, and Joshua said, meditate day and night. Now, I don't mean literally, you know, staying up all day and all night in the word. That's just uh, painting the picture of that. You constantly need to be in it. I heard someone say um, just a couple weeks ago that uh, one of the exciting things about this church is that it was causing them to think about stuff on Monday and Tuesday and and Thursday and Friday about stuff that they heard on Sunday and things that they heard on Wednesday. I mean, I'm seeing uh, personally, you know, I I see people, you know, you're, you're Facebooking what you're hearing, and that's awesome. That means that you're thinking on it. You're on, meditating on that. That's why I make uh, you know, such a strong push for you know, bringing your Bibles and, and taking notes and take these things down. And then throughout the week, you know, be in it. This is the Word. And we need to be in the Word. We need to make it a priority in our life. Because you don't just put a seed in the ground and then walk away from it. It will not bear fruit. It will not come up out of the ground. But as we cultivate, as we take care of it, as we, uh, you know, are doing the proper things to cause that word to grow in our life, we're going to see our lifestyles different. We're going to see our actions different. So there is a planting of the word. Um, And that's what that meditating, uh, that's what that meditating is, thinking on it. You're you're going back and watering it. You're going back and uh, strengthening that seed. Now, I want to show you a few things here that the Word reveals. Do I want to go there? I think I might need to go somewhere else first. Yeah, let's go there. The Word reveals. The Word reveals some things to us, and, and... the reason why I need to identify what the, world, what the Word reveals to you is because a lot of times we allow our outside circumstances or the world to reveal these things to us. And by understanding that the Word reveals these things to us, we won't find ourselves in that contradiction. We won't find ourselves in between. The Word first reveals to us who our Father is. Okay? The Word explains to us who God is. 
explains to us who our king is, explains to us who our Lord is, explains to us that he's good, explains to us that he's faithful, that he's loving, okay? All the, all the different things that we know about God. Do not let the world tell you who God is, okay? Let me just give you a couple references. You don't have to turn there. But again, if you're taking notes, just jot them down. The, world, the word reveals the Father to us. In John chapter 1, verse 10, uh, Jesus, uh, this was about Jesus. He said he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. This is John chapter 1 talking about when Jesus came to the earth. The world did not know him. Okay? John chapter 8, verse 19. So they were saying to him, where is your father? They're speaking to Jesus. Jesus answered, you know neither me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. They didn't even know who Jesus was. They didn't know he was the son of God, and they didn't know who God was. So he just straight up let them know, you don't even know who my father is, and you don't even know who I am, which is eventually why they killed him. Okay? So do not let the world tell you who God is. You want to get a picture of God? You go to the Word. Don't let someone in the world say that God puts sickness on people to teach you something. Because that's not in the Word. Don't let someone uh, in the world tell you um, anything about God that is contrary to the Word. You want to get a picture of God? Go to His Word. Okay? The second thing the Word of God reveals to us is who you are. Is who you are. The word reveals to you who you are. Now, this is important. If you're going to live in God's kingdom, you've got to know who your king is, and you've got to know who you are in relationship to your king. Now, here's the key. Do not let the world tell you who you are. Now, let me identify something real quick. God, tell, the world tells you who you are based upon your past or who you are today. When the world looks at you, they're going to think about what you've done, how bad you've been, how good you've been. They're going to look at what you're in right now. This is what the world looks at. God tells you who you are based upon your future, who he knows you're going to be. And we see this multiple times in the Bible. He did this with Abraham. Abraham is 100 years old. His wife is 90. She hasn't had children, has been unable to have children, and he tells him, you're going to be the father of many nations. Changes his name. Went from Abram to Abraham before anything ever happened. Took him outside of his tent and said, look at the stars. Like that. Look at the sand. Like that. Again, giving him a natural image to picture something unseen. We talked about that a little bit earlier. Same thing with Paul. Paul, I mean, Paul is killing Christians. He's running around towns, killing Christians, putting them in jail, beating them, uh, trying to get rid of the message. Trying to get rid of the message of the kingdom. And he pulls him over on the side of the road, and you think he's just about to rip Paul a new one, man, because, I mean, he's out taking care of his people. And what does he do? He changes his name from Saul to Paul and then tells him what he's going to do. He went ahead and told him. You're going to go before kings. You're going to go before rulers. You're going to endure a lot of trials and uh, a lot of a lot of trials and tribulation. But this is what you're going to do. And Paul ended up writing over two thirds of the New Testament. Okay, so do not let the world tell you who 
God is, and do not let the world tell you who you are. When they look at your life, they're only going to look at what you've done. They cannot see your future. Only God can see your future. And here's the other exciting thing. I'll just throw this out there about your future. God's already been there. God's already been there. Okay? Holy Spirit's already been in there. He's already been it all up in your future, getting it all there. And as long as you walk out, the steps of a righteous man are ordained of the Lord. That means they are already planned out. Every teenager in here, your steps are ordained of the Lord. He's already been all up in your future. He knows what you're going to do in 5 years, 10 years, 15, 30 years. He's already been there. Okay? And it says the steps, not the whole lighted pathway, which means you just take a step. And then you just take the next step. And then you just take the next step. Okay? That is your future. So two things. The Word reveals to us who our God is, who our Father is, and the the Word reveals to us who you are. The last thing the Word reveals to you is who your enemy is. Okay? Now this is important because you've got to know what you're up against to be able to fight it. A lot of believers are trying to fight blindly and are actually fighting God because the world has pinned God, pinned a lot of things on God that the enemy's bringing. The word's very clear that the enemy came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. This is not God. God has nothing to do with this. God, Jesus, said, I have come to bring life and life more abundantly. There's no death in him. There's no evil in him. Period. Go ahead and get that settled today. Go ahead and get that in your mind. Go ahead and and figure that out. There is no evil in God. He's He's not watching you and waiting, got lightning bolts all stacked up, ready to take you out because you you did something. I mean, have we heard about mercy? Have we heard about grace? Let's walk in these things. Okay? God is not going to do this. God will not do this. He's incapable of doing it. So don't let the world pin this stuff on God when maybe there's just something we need to learn. Maybe there's something we just need to grow in and we can overcome this situation and God is waiting on the other side to take you to the next level. Take you to the next level of transition. Okay? So the world... uh, Do not let the world tell you who God is. Do not let the world tell you who you are. Let's go ahead and settle that today. The Word tells us that. And this is why it's so important to renew your mind with the Word. Because I'm telling you right now, there there is so much out in the world vying for your attention. It's vying for your attention. You understand that time, you cannot get time back. Time, I I look at time a lot like currency, like money. You can spend it. You can save it. You can waste it. It's a resource to you. Time is a resource to you. But the only thing about time that's different than money is you cannot get it back. If the enemy is trying to sidetrack me, and I'm not talking against movies, I see movies, but there are certain things in our life that we need to start, look, when you identify purpose in your life, you begin to live a life with restraint. 
And the more purpose that's identified, every teenager in here, the more purpose that you are identified with in your life as you grow up, the more restraint it's going to cause you. And what I mean is it's going to cause you to put things down. And God works in levels. God works in levels. He's growing you. Uh, The Apostle Paul didn't get run over on the side of the road by Jesus, spend three days at a guy's house blind, and then gets healed, and then go right back out and go into it. He started preaching, but he also spent years with disciples in their homes, learning the word and and being uh, taught the message of the kingdom. There are levels. God works in levels. And every level requires you to cut something else off. Okay? So when, when you cut something off, now it's causing you to restrain yourself a little bit. I, I can't talk to that person. I can't hang around those people. I can't go see those kind of movies. I mean, I just told uh, my pastor just the other day, I said, even in, this tra- even in this transition, I mean, I've been cutting stuff off left and right to get to the point that I'm at today. And now to go from children's pastor to senior pastor, I'm already starting to see things that I have to cut off. Already things that I have to restrain myself from. Types of conversations. uh, Conversations with certain people. um, Things that I put in front of me. What I do with my time. Every level. And I didn't get to this level because I didn't already cut something off in the level before. And I didn't get to that level because I didn't already restrain myself somewhere else before. Every level. And I can, I mean, I can go back through my life and see every level. I can give you the year that I made a transition and I can remember what I had to put down. And it was hard. Cutting off things is not easy. It does not feel good. Okay? But Jesus made it very clear that a vine, that a tree, to bear more fruit, you have to cut off some dead stuff. Okay? And there are some things that are holding us back from bearing more fruit, from going to the next level, from transitioning to that next level. And we need to identify those and put them down. And that, that means that the more purpose that is revealed to us, the more restraint that I put on my life. Okay? We have to identify these things. Um, these are things that the enemy does to take up your time. Just to simply take up your time. And every level requires you to give more time to God. To give more time to the kingdom. You don't get it back. And everything's vying for your attention. I mean, billboards are yanking you. Movies, yanking you. Music, yanking you. MTV, yanking you. Uh, Sports, you know. And I love it all. Trust me. I I love music. I love some movies. I love sports. Sports is probably my biggest thing because, I, I, you know, I wish that I could just narrow it down to one or two. I love all sports. I mean, I was raised growing up. I was watching golf. I was watching tennis. I was watching bowling, football, basketball. I mean, if it was on, we're watching it, okay? And I love sports. I'm competitive. Uh, you know, once we start playing some sports, you'll start seeing that come out in me a little bit. My wife has to, uh, just about every flag football game we had, I'm getting the car. She stopped going to them because she's like, I'm tired of talking to you about yelling at people. So, <laughs> I've, again, restraint. I'm trying to hold myself back. But, um, man, I can get competitive, you know. I, I, we have a good time. So, But I, I, I love sports. But I have to identify uh, what could I cut off and give more time to God, okay? I don't know how we got on that, but that was for somebody. So I hope that bears witness with you.
Um, last thing I want to hit on real quick as we wrap this thing up. Uh, so far, we've understood that the word is God's law and God's law can be followed or not followed, can be obeyed or disobeyed. OK, this is God's law. Uh, just as simple as it is for me to break uh, the speed limit, it is for me to break God's law. Um, if God commanded it, we're to follow it. Very simple. Um, we just saw that if you follow it, then you are righteous, which means you're in right standing with God's authority. With God's authority. Now, when you were born again, you were made righteous, which means that he no longer sees your past faults and past sins. Thank God for that one. He's completely removed it. He made you righteous. My son said amen. Um, so you've been made righteous. This is what, um, this is what the word is. It's, it's God's law. As God's law, it needs to govern what we think, what we say, and what we do. Which, again, it's governing our thought life, which then in turn governs what we, uh, how we speak and how we live. Okay? Um, then, you know, we saw that we need to plant the word. We need to put it in, which means that uh, planting is a process. It's not a one-day thing. It's not a put it in the ground, walk away. There's a meditating on. There's a continual feeding on. There's a continual cultivating that word within you so it can bear fruit in your life. Then we saw what the word reveals. The word reveals our father to us, reveals who we are, and reveals who the enemy is. Um, the last thing I want to hit on real quick is understanding light and darkness. I'm going to close with this. Understanding light and darkness. When the word, when the Bible talks about light versus darkness, it's talking about knowledge versus ignorance. Anytime a light is turned on, it's talking about coming into knowledge or knowing something. Anytime it's talking about darkness, it's talking about being in ignorance. Now, ignorance is not stupid. We gotta, we gotta learn the difference between the two. Stupid is the inability to learn. Ignorance is simply not knowing. And the second you come into knowledge, you're no longer ignorant. If I had no clue, obviously uh, the law takes care of this, so I can't use it as an excuse, but if I had no clue, it was 45 out here, I was ignorant. Sorry, officer, I just didn't know what the speed limit was. I was going 55, you know, I thought it might be in there somewhere. Uh, then I have disobeyed the law, and he can still bust me. I mean, I can't go to court and say, hey, I didn't know I need to get out of this thing. He can still get me. Um, but now, once you know something, you're held responsible for what you know. Now, here's the thing about this is in the end, you can't use the excuse, well, I didn't know. Because the words made it very clear that everybody on the face of the planet will have the opportunity to know and hear the word of God for themselves and to make the choice, will I follow, will I disobey? Will I hear God's law and become righteous and follow his word or will I stay unrighteous and not follow his word? Okay, everybody will have this opportunity. The word has already said that. There's no lie in the Bible. God is not a liar. If it's in the Bible, it's truth, period. Okay? Um, I once got in a conversation with someone about a, about a movie. It was uh, The Passion of the Christ, I think. And um, they said they went and saw it, and they were unbelievers. They went and saw it, and I said, yeah, it was good, wasn't it? And they said, yeah, you know, if I believed it all. I said, well, what do you mean? 
I said, well, you know, I don't really, believe, I don't think the Bible is completely true. I mean, I think there's some stuff in there that's true, but I think it's mostly, you know, stories for us to hear so we know how to do good or, you know, they give us examples. I said, well, I can't even talk to you. I mean, if we can't settle first that the Bible is truth, period, and there is no other way, then this conversation is over. I can't talk to you about God. I can't talk, I mean, because if you don't believe it as truth, I mean, where am I supposed to go with that? Because I can say Jesus, Jesus came and died for your sins. Well, yeah, if I believe that. I mean, if I believe that a man really gave himself to that kind of, that kind of punishment and put himself on a cross for six hours and then went to heaven and, Okay, well, then the conversation's over. Okay, so we have to first settle that his word is truth. Bottom line. I can't go anywhere beyond that with anybody. But we settle that. Amen. So uh, once you hear the word, uh, God said in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, he said, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Find that interesting. Not for a lack of power. Not for a lack of anointing, not for a lack of the move of the Spirit, lack of knowledge. My people are literal my, my people are obliterated, they are destroyed, they are wiped out because they don't know. There's some knowledge that we have to come into. And the Bible talks about light and talks about darkness. Let me put it to you this way. The enemy rules. Let me tell you where the enemy rules. This is why mind renewal is so important. We'll get to this later on. But the enemy rules in darkness. That means he rules in what you don't know. Amen. That's why I preach the full counsel of the word. If I don't talk to you about a marriage relationship and the way the Bible says a marriage relationship should be, you will struggle in your marriage. Why? Because that's the one area the enemy will attack you. If I don't talk to you about your finances and about tithing and offering and, and giving and, and how to reap a harvest that way, you will struggle in your finances. Why? Because you're ignorant in those areas. You don't know how to operate in those areas. And the enemy rules in ignorance. He operates and rules in what you don't know. If you don't know about it, then you can't walk in it properly. A lot of times we do the devil's work. And what I mean by that is is we, we help him out in things by just not walking in what the word tells us. And the enemy really doesn't have to do anything because if I'm out of alignment of God's will and God's kingdom, then I'm out from under that umbrella. And God's got this umbrella and says, you're safe as long as you're under here. But if I'm walking in unrighteousness, if I'm not operating according to what the word says. Then I come out from under that covering. That's what the enemy tries to do. The enemy cannot touch you if you follow God's word. Every teenager in here, the enemy cannot touch you if you live according to God's word. Period. If you obey God's word and remain righteous, he's got you covered. So what does the enemy try to do? He tries to pull you out. He tries to get you to watch that. He tries to get you to feed the flesh. We saw the three up here. He tries to pull you away, make provision to sin. This is how the enemy works. He cannot touch a believer that is in the word, studying the word, meditating on the word, and allowing the word to be applied in their life. He cannot touch you. And again, this is why mind renewal is so important. I mean, I can go, I, I'm, I'm listening to a minister right now that's talking about the Holy Spirit. And he's having to 
lay a foundation of mind renewal. I mean, mind renewal is such a foundation and understanding that if I if you can't think a certain way, then we're not going to live a certain way. And we can sit here and we can wallow and cry and whine. Why are, why are things like this? And why am I not seeing God's blessings? And why are these things coming upon me? And it's because you simply haven't aligned your mindset with God. This is how God thinks. This is how God thinks. I want to think the way God thinks. I want to see things the way God sees it. And it's not hard. He's put it all right here for us. It's all right here. Amen. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you that we can apply the word in our lives, that it's not 